Welcome to Build with Hari Rao, a podcast by Get Ready Ministry. Let's receive today's word. Greetings to you all once again. Uh, we are in a series called Victory Over Sin and we are in part four. How many of you have been blessed by what the Lord has taught us over the last three weeks? I believe this word has brought an understanding, brought a perspective, and it is my most sincere prayer that has helped many of you have victory over sin. It is a joy for me to greet all of you today. Are you guys ready for today's word? Today, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to touch some practical things about how we can have victory over sin. I want to take my time when I'm talking to you today and I hope you guys have prepared yourself for this word, for this evening's word and I hope you have your notebooks and pens ready if you're going to take uh, notes tonight. I'm going to share a lot of things that are simple but they're going to help you have victory over sin. Let's quickly say a word of prayer. Father, we know that your scripture says, your word says, he that the Son sets free is free indeed. That is our promise, Father. That that is your promise to us. Where you have said, if the Son of God sets you free, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. So, Father, we want to experience this freedom in our lives. We want to experience this freedom in our marriage. We want to experience this freedom in our everyday decision-making, Father. So, help us appropriate this freedom in our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Bring light, bring illumination, bring understanding. Let chains break tonight. Let chains break tonight. Let chains break tonight. I ask you this in the most precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. 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 Okay. I want to share a verse with you today. Go with me to James chapter 1, verse 15. James chapter 1, verse 15. Fifteen. James chapter 1, verse 15. I'll read for us. James 1, verse 15. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. One more time. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow it gives birth to death let me read esv for you i love i love the the language in esv then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown fully matured brings forth death. That's James 
chapter 1 verse 15. The, the Bible is telling us here that, that desire plays a powerful role in the kind and the quality of life we lead. It's saying that desire gives birth to sin or when sin or desire is pregnant and desire is conceived, it conceives sin. And sin, when it's fully matured or fully grown, when sin is allowed to grow, which means sin can contract and sin can grow, sin can shrink and sin can expand. When sin has fully grown, it gives birth to death. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? And if you remember our last week's teaching, desire is a function of the soul. Desire has its birthing place in our soul. Now, I want to quickly take a moment and tell you that not all desire is sinful. Not all desire is ungodly. Not all desire is demonic. Not all desire leads to sin. Desire is a function of your soul. So when desire is, listen to me now carefully, please. When desire is now, when desire is hijacked by sinful nature, or when desire is hijacked by a demonic spirit, then that desire, which is controlled by a demonic spirit or a sinful nature, that desire gives birth to sin. Okay? So now you have to think of desire like a womb. Are you with me so far? You must think of desire like a womb. Whatever seed you place within this womb called desire, it will mature it for you. Either it will produce sin or it will produce righteousness. Are you with me so far? Think of desire as a womb. Whatever seed is placed in that desire, that desire, that womb called desire is going to either give birth to sin or it's going to give birth to righteousness. Now, if you remember, if you remember the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, what did he say? He said, you have read that thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you have lusted after a woman in your heart, you have already committed adultery. Now, when, you, when I first read that, come on, that can't be true. Surely, there is a difference between a man going and committing the act of adultery and a man thinking about adultery. Because I was young and I was thinking, how can it be wrong? I mean, uh, how can the thought of murdering a person and murdering a person is the same? You see, the law of the land, the law of any country cannot punish you for your thoughts because they cannot measure your thoughts. <laughs> they can't put you in jail because you thought of killing somebody. They can't put you in jail because you thought of 
stealing somebody's car. But in the kingdom of God is not just a place where your actions are measured, but the kingdom of God is a place where even your thoughts are measured. Because Christianity is the only faith that rewards you for your thoughts. Let me say that one more time. Christianity, the kingdom of God, is the only faith that rewards you for your thoughts. Why? Because in God's eyes, your thoughts are as real as your actions. In fact, your thoughts, your desire is the birthing place of your actions. I want you to stay with me because this is very, very important. Very important. Very important. Jesus, what did Jesus say? He said, it is written that if you commit adultery, if you go and perform the act, of committing adultery, then you have, according to the law, you have committed. But I say to you, I give you a new way. I show you another way that if a man lusts after another woman, or if a man has anger issues in his heart and in his soul, he has already committed that sin. Why is this important? Because in the realms of the spirit, now listen to me, there is a dimension. There is a reality where your thoughts are equivalent to your actions. There is a place, oh dear God have mercy, there is a place where your thoughts are as real and as powerful and as dangerous, my God, as actions itself. Now, I want to, I want to bring a distinction with you. I'm not talking about these random thoughts that seem to float through your mind. You know, everybody has random thoughts, you know. They just seem to be passing through your mind. I'm not talking about those thoughts. Those come and those go out. Those are like uh, uninvited guests. We're not talking about those thoughts. We're talking about thoughts that you dwell upon. Thoughts that you meditate upon. Thoughts that you fixate about. Thoughts that you that consumes your time and energy, consumes your mind space. Those thoughts are powerful. Those thoughts are worthy of rewards. Those thoughts are condemnable as sins. That is why I told you last week, every sin is committed in your mind several times before your body commits that sin. Sin is first hatched. Sin is first conceived and hatched in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. Then it becomes a desire. Then it becomes a sin of the body, sin of action. Now, just for a moment, you see, the spirit realm or the invisible realm doesn't just work for the powers of darkness, doesn't just work for the wrong things, doesn't just work, uh, I'm going to mess your mind up right now. Jesus said, <laughs> Jesus said that if you have this certain thought that is sinful, it's as though you have already committed that sin. Now, what if we reverse that? What if you think about things that are godly? 
What about you train your mind to consistently and constantly think about the Lord Jesus Christ? What if you consistently and constantly think about the goodness of God? What about you think about the plans and the purposes that God has for you? Now, what if you train your mind, you train your heart, you train your desires to not waste its power and energy on the sinful things, but you train it to think on godly things. You think about um, the things of the kingdom, how you want to witness to your family, how you want to witness to your friend, how you want to build a business, how you want to build a church or how you want to build a ministry or how you want to do any of these good. Then if the principle works for the sinful, if the principle works for darkness, then surely the principle must work for the kingdom. Surely the principle must work for light. If I can be held accountable for my sinful thoughts, then I must also be rewarded for my godly thoughts. Ah, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I just gave you a very powerful key. If, if me lusting after a person is considered adultery, it's, it's the same, has the same weight, then surely if I learn to train my mind to think on things that are above, if I train my mind to think about the Lord Jesus Christ, to think about holiness, to think about godliness, to think about purity, to think about how we can further the kingdom of God, how we can further the cause of the gospel, how we can build the kingdom of God, surely then these thoughts, these thoughts also are powerful. Ah, come on, somebody, come on. You see, unfortunately, the church... We are very surface level people, very surface level. We'll, we'll touch an idea and then we'll just let it float. But the world is not like that. They will exploit its principle. They will learn one principle and they will make it work for the rest of their life. And you see, that's how some of these demonic teachings, some of these new age teachings have understood this principle of thoughts and the power of thoughts and what happens when you dwell on a particular thought and they have created laws of attraction laws of positive thinking and all this i don't know what they're called it's it's an abuse of a principle i hope i'm helping somebody today listen to me if my mind and my thoughts and my desires are, are held accountable and and if my sinful thoughts are as real to Jesus as my actions, then surely my godly thoughts, my godly intentions, somebody shout amen to that. You know, before I ever held my microphone in my hand and preached for seven years, I held a microphone and preached in my heart and my mind when I had no audience. You're not a prophet when you get on the platform. You're first a prophet in your heart. You're first a preacher in your heart. The platform comes many, many years later. You're not a singer when somebody calls you and gives you an opportunity to sing. No, you, have, you are a worshiper and a singer first in your heart. That's how the Holy Spirit trains you. <laughs> oh my God, I, we don't have time. Maybe one day we should just dedicate time to 
to the functions of the soul, how God gave us such powerful instruments called imagination, thoughts, thinking, dreams, desires. These are all instruments that God gave us in our soul to understand the realms of the spirit. That's why children are beautiful. Children are amazing. Children have no limitations of adults. They can sit. Have you seen a child? A child can be fascinated with a twig. <laughs> a child is fascinated with a piece of paper. He, he, he will make a paper boat. But in his mind, it's as though he has built an entire ship. It's the power of imagination. He will make a little um, paper uh, plane and let it fly. And in his mind, he can imagine as though an entire aeroplane is taking off. It's the power of our soul. So my precious people, remember what I said last week. Your body is a slave to your soul. Your body is a slave to your mind. So if you want to change how your body is going to function, you must re-engineer, renew how your soul is thinking. How your soul, what your soul is dwelling upon. Teach your mind to think on godly things. Can I tell you this? And I'm going to help a lot of people by this one sentence. You're not meant to be led by your soul. You're meant to lead your soul. You're not meant to be led by your mind. You're meant to lead your mind. You're not meant to be led by your emotions. You're meant to lead your emotions. So before, you can have a million dollar business. <laughs> you must, the million dollar business should possess your mind. Before you can build it outside, you must build it inside. Before you can plant a church that's going to bless thousands of people, that church must be built inside you. Before you can build a godly house and a godly marriage, that godly marriage must be built inside you. You know, I, I sit with a lot of young people and they keep telling me that they want to uh, get married to a godly person. They want to be married to a God-fearing man of God, God-fearing woman of God. And yet I see, I, I ask them, have you... Uh, I don't want to be rude. I don't want to be harsh. But in your thought life, have you built a godly marriage? Have you sat and prayed about the person that you want to be married to? Have you thought and prayed about the kind of person you are going to be? If you wait to get to the altar to be a good husband, you are too late. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. Let me say that one more time. If you wait for your wedding day to be a good husband and a good wife, if you wait for your wedding day to become a godly husband and a godly wife, you are too late. You must become a godly husband even before you meet your wife. You must become a godly wife, a godly husband, even before you have even met the person. If you have not, ah, you're, you, you are walking into disaster. I can be real with you guys, right? I can be honest with you all, right? 
what is the what is the point of these things if we are just going to be superficial i must be real with you i must be honest with you because help comes from us being honest with each other if you can't be honest and have integrity in your small transactions 100 rupees 200 rupees 300 rupees 500 rupees you i promise you you will never be honest and have integrity when it comes to 5 lakhs and 50 lakhs and 5 crores why the amount is different but the mind is the same so what should we do then what should we do we must search our hearts i love david's prayer he didn't say lord search my kingdom he didn't say lord search my house he didn't say try my kingdom he didn't say try my armies he says search my heart try my heart because out of it flow the issues of life if i find something in your house i promise you it's in your house not by accident in your it first found real estate in your heart then it found real estate in your house <laughs> ah lord jesus satan did not go to god and say i want to be god i am better than you no lucifer didn't do that what did lucifer do lucifer said in his heart i will exalt myself to the highest place and i shall be like the most high and bam he was cast down god didn't have to wait for him to walk up to the throne and say god i am better than you because once it has been formed in your heart it will sooner or later find its way into your life so whatever is in your house whatever is in your ministry whatever is in your kingdom is always has already been in your heart and your soul and your mind if your house is disorganized then the house in your heart is disorganized <laughs> come on if your house is not clean the house that you have envisioned in your heart is not clean if your car is not a certain way then the car in your heart is not that way ah lord jesus have mercy so before you get up and read your bible you must have read your bible in your heart before you sit up sit down and pray you must have prayed in your heart you see the let's say you pray at 10 o'clock let's say 10 in the evening is your time of prayer you don't start praying at 10 you start praying at 8 but your body shows up in that room to pray at 10 okay i will i will go easy i <laughs> i'll be gentle if you don't like let me close this part of the sermon today with this if you don't like something in your life if you don't like something about your life instead of blaming the devil and instead of crying saying god has not answered my prayers check your heart where in your heart have you made peace with that area where have you given space where and how have you accommodated that area of your life in your heart and you will find the root cause for that 
thing that you don't like in your life to exist in it. If you don't like an area, if you don't like a certain thing in your life, instead of looking outside, look within your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to perform a heart surgery, an inside surgery, a soul surgery and say, God, expose it to me. Where have I made room for this to exist in my life? And then uproot that area, uproot that thought, uproot that desire and see the outside change. We just read, we just read from James. We read from James. That desire, man, I wish I could just teach you about, just talk to you about desire. So powerful. I know we have mothers, parents, dads watching me. When you see your little child, two, three, four, five years old, what you must be looking for is that godly desire that the Lord has placed in their heart. If you see somebody is enjoys talking, enjoys company, enjoys doing certain things, don't correct your child for everything and anything. Look for saying, what is the desire that I see that my child is projecting, that my child is exhibiting? And nurture that desire when it is a godly one. Don't shut everything down. Then that's why they have to hide from you and do things. James 1 said that when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has fully grown, it produces death. Now you and I both know that sin is not good. You and I both know that sin is offensive to God. You and I both know that sin produces death then we must ask this question, why do we keep sinning? Why do we continue to sin? Why do we keep going back to that area? Why do we repeat that same mistake again and again and again? It's an honest question we must ask ourselves. You can't tell the devil, oh, the devil made me sin. No. If the devil made you sin, it cannot be sin. Because sin is a voluntary choice. God can't punish you for something that is not voluntary, that is not driven by your free will. Mm. Why do we sin, my people? I can give you very complex answers, but let me make, give you the simple answer. We continue to sin because sin feels good. Sin provides temporary pleasure. That is the only reason where I see a human being has motivation to sin. Can we be real? Sin feels good. And that's why we go back to it again and again. <sighs> mm. Now do you, some of you might disagree with me. <laughs> 
It's okay. It's okay. Nothing wrong in you feeling good. Nothing wrong in you and I enjoying pleasure. Because God designed us to have pleasure. Pleasure is not wrong. Feeling good is not wrong. Enjoying something is not wrong. Then why is sin wrong? Because sin is the illegal means of getting to that joy, getting to that pleasure and getting to that feel-good moment. Let me say that one more time. Sin is the illegal means of getting to that pleasure. So what is temptation? Temptation is you enjoying, is an invitation for you to enjoy a certain pleasure outside of God's provision. Temptation is an invitation to enjoy pleasure outside of God's provision. God wants you to be successful. I hope everybody is okay with that. <laughs> Today we live in a day where some people think God wants us to be miserable, but that's a lie from the pit of hell. God wants you to succeed in life. That's why he said, I have plans, plans to prosper you. So God wants you to prosper. Correct? Okay. Now there are, would you agree with me that there are many ways of becoming successful? And some of these ways are not godly. Some of these ways are not honorable. Some of these ways lead with, are, are filled with compromise. So God doesn't want you to just succeed. God wants you to succeed the right way. So let's get back to this. <clears throat> so sin leads, sin, we continue to sin because sin feels good. But here's where the enemy has caught us in a loop. Are you ready? Sin, the enemy has us in a loop. Enemy has us in a loop. He brings a temptation and then he encourages you to go and participate in that sin. Mm. <laughs> he will motivate you. He'll say, come on, you can do this, hurry. You, of course, you need to do this. It feels so good. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. It looks good. It feels good. It's going to make you feel a certain way. So, so he is going to come and motivate you to sin. Motivate you to go in that direction that is away from God. Motivate you to enjoy that pleasure. Motivate you to enjoy that illicit uh, whatever it is, you know. And the minute you commit that sin, the minute you commit that act, he's going to turn around and say, you are a horrible human being. You are a horrible child to God. You are a terrible person. How can you call yourself a Christian? can you call yourself a believer? Look at what you have just done. But two minutes ago, he was the one that was shouting in your corner, say, go, you can do this. And the minute you did it, he's going to bring shame. And that is the loop, my friends. Pleasure and shame. Pleasure and shame. And we seem to be oscillating always between these two. Pleasure and shame. Pleasure and shame. Ah, 
Come on, who knows what I'm talking to you about? I, I'm telling you, some of you must be wondering, how does Pastor Hari know all of this? It's because I can, I can join Apostle Paul and say, I am chief among sinners. I got very good at sinning at one point in my life. That's how I know these things. And I know the pain. I know the, uh, the trauma. So you, you go between, you want pleasure. So you go after pleasure. The minute you get the pleasure, you feel shame. You then sometimes you feel fear because you don't want to, you, 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 you think I want to go end up in hell. God is not going to be happy with me. And you begin to feel all these negative emotions of shame and fear and condemnation. Okay. Are you guys with me now? Please, I need you to stay with me. Okay. What do you think? your soul and your mind is going to crave when you feel shame and fear and condemnation. What do you think it wants to feel? It wants to feel better again. It wants to feel good again. <laughs> Tell me honestly, when you feel bad about yourself, what will make you feel good about yourself? So you look for something that's going to make you feel good. So then what do you do? Then comes the enemy, then comes the temptation and you go back looking again for the same shot of dopamine to the same shot of pleasure and hence you find yourself in a cycle oscillating between shame and pleasure, shame and pleasure. The illicit pleasure leads to shame. Shame wants to feel better. So you go back to pleasure and the pleasure makes you feel shameful again and you are stuck in a loop. Why do you think Adam hid? Shame. <laughs> 10 minutes ago, he wanted that plant, that the fruit of that tree. Ten minutes ago, he wanted to enjoy that fruit that his wife had eaten. He wanted to also have the knowledge of good and evil. He partakes of that fruit. And suddenly, when he hears the footsteps of God, he's feeling an, an emotion. He's feeling an emotion. He's like, oh my God, God is coming. And I did something that I didn't want to do. So he goes and hides himself. Shame. Ah, how many of you want to break this cycle? I want to share with you some simple and practical ways you can break the cycle. If you're ready, let me know. My God. Very simple. What did God do? What did the father do when he came to the garden? He called Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? So the first thing we must do to break the cycle of sin is expose ourselves and expose our sin to the father. Hiding will not help. The strength of sin is secrecy. Let me say that to you one more time. The strength of sin is secrecy. The more you hide it, 
the more it will dominate you. The more you keep it under the carpet, the more it is going to rot. The more you try to push it away, the more it will control your life. If you want to break sin, you bring it to light. You bear your soul and your heart to the God, to Father, the God, the Father. You say, God, I have sinned. I messed up. I did wrong. You don't hide it. You bring it to the light of God's eyes. But shame, the nature of shame is to hide. Because you are ashamed. I am ashamed. Ashamed. We want to hide it. Because we don't want people to think less of us. We don't want people to misjudge us. We don't want people to put us down. We don't want judgment. We don't, all of this. So we hide it because it's okay. And we start this superficial, hypocritical life with God. What if I told you that there is a love? That there is a God that can see you at your worst and love you like you have never committed a sin. What if there is a God, what if there is a love that can swallow the whole sea of sin that you are in and still redeem you, still preserve you? Only God can do this. Only God can do this. Only God can do this. Where he can remove the sin and preserve the sinner. He can remove the acts of sins and still preserve the person that has committed the sin. Only the love of God can do this. Where when you bring it to the light of God, when you come humble, repentant, and you say, God, I messed up. He has the, he has the power, he has the grace to to remove sin, but preserve you. Mm. This love, if there is a love that is free of judgment, it is the love of Jesus Christ. There is no other love in the universe that is more powerful, more glorious than the love of God. Ah. He can deal with my sin and still redeem the sinner. So what's the first principle? You break the loop, you break the chain, you break the pattern of sin by giving it to God, by bringing it to the light. Bringing it to the light. You bring it to the light. <laughs> It's okay if you sin five times in a day. You crawl back to God if you have to and say, Father, I have nowhere else to go. Where can I go, God? Which other fount can wash away my sin? Which other God or which other help is there that can truly help me? I can only come to you. But the enemy will lie to you. God is fed up with you. You are good for nothing. You're going to be condemned to hell. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You go to 
the Lord every single time. Yeah. Now as a part of you bringing it to light. Now the next part I am telling you, you must do it prayerfully. You could consider sharing this area of your life with somebody that is godly and that is mature. You confessing and becoming accountable to another mature believer. It could be a pastor, could be your, uh, uh, a spiritual father, a spiritual mother. But somebody that you trust and that values you. There is something beautiful and powerful happens when you ah. Let me share. The Lord is reminding me something. Everybody can be honest with God. <laughs> but it takes another level of vulnerability to be honest with another human being. And if you find somebody in your life that can give you that space and honor you and 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 protect you even when you are weak and you are struggling. You have a good person in your life. If you have a father, if you have a mother that is a safe place for you, you are blessed. You are blessed. You are blessed. Wow. I'm telling you, something will happen when you become vulnerable. Now, I'm not saying this, you go do this with anybody because there are some really, really bad people that will weaponize your secrets and use it against you. They will make videos about you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you don't want those people. God will deal with them. <laughs> God will deal with them. But you... If you can find somebody that you can ask the Lord to give you somebody. Okay. Okay. First, bring it to the light. Second, become accountable. Find somebody you can be accountable to. Okay. I don't want to spend too much time on this. Because today, finding somebody to be accountable to is almost a taboo subject. Because everybody is saying, oh, I'm accountable to the Holy Spirit. My, only God can judge me and all of that stuff. Uh, you leave those people because uh, they are immature children in the Lord. Okay? Because they don't understand how God's grace comes, how God helps people. They want to be islands and independent people. Because I'll tell you, the root cause is they don't want to share credit. <laughs> That's why they don't want to confess. That's why they don't want to confide. Many of them. I'm not saying all. Become accountable. And finally, this is the most important truth I can share with you. 
This is the most important one. David said it this way. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. One more time. What did David say in Psalms 119, if I remember correctly? I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. There is a direct correlation between how much of truth has possessed you and to the kind of life you live. Can I say that one more time? There is a direct relationship. There is a correlation between how much of truth has possessed your heart to the life that you're going to live. A heart that is truly possessed by truth. Certain sins and ways cannot even get a grip on its life. So David understood this. He said, so I make an intentional choice to hide the word of the Lord, to hide the truth in my heart. Why hide it? Because it is the seed that you are placing in your soul. So when desire begins to open her womb, the only thing that is making an entrance is the truth of God's word. If desire is a womb, if my soul is a womb, then the word is the seed. The word is the the truth that I implant and impreg the desire with. And so I can produce righteousness and I can lead life. I can have life. But you see, Ah, my God. But you see, David didn't even have the Bible. (laughs) At least you and I have a physical Bible. We have Genesis and, and John and all of these good stuff. No, David didn't even have the Bible. But he found a way of encountering the word every day. He would go and sit amongst the elders of his day and says, teach me the word. What, in, what, 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 does, what was Moses' life like? He would hear stories from elders. And then he would take those stories. He would go into the wilderness where he was keeping his sheep. He would take his little harp, his guitar, and, and make songs and worship the Lord. He, it was not about reading It was about dwelling on the word. It was about having your thoughts immersed in Christ. Having your heart possessed with the truth. Now I was teaching, um, I was teaching in a youth camp some years ago and they wanted to, uh, they wanted me to teach on holiness. And, And these are all like, 14, 15, 16, 19 year olds, you know. So their hormones are going all kinds of places. And I had the difficult job of trying to convince these young people, uh, (laughs) you know, about living holy lives. So I was praying and God gave me a beautiful illustration. Okay. And I'm, I, I will do my best to explain it to you. Um, holiness is not about 
you looking away from things that are bad. Please listen to me. I want you to listen to me. Holiness is not about you looking away. Oh my God, I can't watch that movie. I can't look at that girl. I can't look at that boy. I can't look at that car. It's not about looking away so much. Okay, please stay with me. It's not so much about looking away. I'm married to a great, great woman of God, my wife, Christina. Holiness is not me looking away from other women. No, holiness is this, that I am in so, so in love with my wife. I am so enamored by her. I am, my thoughts and my minds are so possessed by her that I have no time to look away and look at another. That is holiness, my friends. Holiness is not about you looking away from the wrong and the bad things. Holiness is about you being so possessed by Jesus, so possessed by Christ. Your heart, your mind, your desire is so amazed, so engrossed with the love of Jesus that your, your eyes, you have eyes only for him that you don't have a single moment to look away. God, that is holiness. Victory over sin is not you not committing those actions. Victory over sin is you being so in love with Jesus that temptation doesn't even touch you. God have mercy. So I'm not trying to teach you a way where you can stay away, stay away, stay away, stay away from all these wrong things in life so you can make it to heaven. No, no, no. I'm teaching you a way where you can be so in love with Jesus, so possessed by Jesus, so engrossed by Jesus, so in awe of Jesus, so amazed by Jesus that you have eyes only for him. I have hidden thy word in my heart. I have hidden thy word in my heart that I may not sin against you. He's saying that if you open my heart, you're going to find Jesus. If you cut me open, you're going to find the word. If you search my heart, you're going to find the word. You're going to find you, Jesus. Ah. Thank you, God. I remember... Is, is such a precious presence of God. Mm. No, I was. Um, I used to cycle to church when I was young, and uh, it was about seven kilometers. So there. It takes about 30 minutes, you know, to get to church, 35, 40 minutes. So I would cycle every Sunday to church. There was this one particular street. No, I think this was a little later. I had my bike. There was one particular street where the whole 50 to 100 meter stretch was just 
posters of movies and those were x-rated movies you know just completely just um, adult film posters that whole stretch every week it would be there and as a young man it was always a difficult i was what 17 18 or maybe even younger it was always a temptation to look always a temptation to look and one day i heard very sharply in my spirit son don't look don't look don't look so i looked away i of course it because i wanted to honor the voice of the holy spirit so i didn't look and and i made sure it was on the left side i made sure uh uh i didn't look and as i kept going just a few meters ahead i saw a man on the other side of the road i saw a man on the other side he needed a lift i stopped and i said sir where do you want to go there was a man that was maybe 55 60 years old he says i just want to go down the road i'm too old to walk i said no problem sir i'll take you i'll take you so he sat on my bike and uh, we started talk uh, we started going and and for some reason this man began to open up his whole life to me on my bike he began to tell me about his family his wife and you must understand i'm i'm probably less than half his age <laughs> so no reason for him to share about his life with me you know he began to share about his life and uh, he told me you know i have a son he's he's wavered he's struggling he says uh, do you go to church and he said yes sir, i go to church he says please will you pray for my son will you pray for my family so when i dropped him i i took 2 minutes and and i prayed with this guy okay i prayed with this guy and i i felt, I felt so good and as soon as i left the man i heard the voice of god and it's ah oh god have mercy i heard the voice of god and this is what the lord said my church has her eyes fixed on the world so much my church is so engrossed by this world that in its path there are people that are dying and that need help but they are so fixed in their ways they are so their eyes are so caught up looking at the things of this world that they can never look away and see a world that is asking for help and today then the lord told me son i said look away because i wanted you to talk to this man i wanted you to pray and minister to this man i wanted you to be a blessing to this man but if you had continued to look to your left and saw those posters and saw the what the world has to offer you would have missed this man and beloved that is what is happening with us our minds our eyes our attention is so filled with the world that we are missing helping we are not helping the ones that god has put in our path and that old man would have still had his thumb out asking for help asking for drops mm. god wants us to fix our eyes on him so we can help like that old man who is asking for a drop say god as long as we keep looking we will never see the need that is there in this world i have hidden 
your word in my heart. Ah. So my precious friends, if you find an area where you're struggling, you're struggling in that area because that area has not met the light of this word. It's an area where there's a vacuum that has to be filled with the truth of God's word. See, many of you think when you read your Bible and you listen to a sermon like this one, you, you, you're thinking you're just getting words. No, you're getting spiritual material that is filling every vacuum in your life. So it's it, it, the word has a way. Ah, the word has a way of locating emptiness. The word has a way of locating vacuum. And it is, it is attracted to such areas. And boom, it goes and fills that place. And because it is filled, no demon can enter that place. No sin can enter that place. No sinful desire can enter that place. Why? It is full. It is full. It is full. You cannot fill an empty, you cannot fill a full glass. So you, you fill the word. You fill your heart with the word. Either, listen to me carefully, either the word will choke the world out of you or the world will choke the word out of you. Are you listening to me? Either the word, the word will choke the world out of you. But if you keep feeding the world, if you keep entertaining the world, the world will fill your entire house and the word will wake it. The word will exit. So feed your soul with the word. 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 <sighs> you give this word time to work in your life. You feed it. And you see, then the word will take root in your heart. It will take root in your soul. And it will begin to push every other thing out. Feed your soul with the word. Okay. Finally, finally, learn to develop healthy boundaries. Let me say that one more time. Learn to develop healthy boundaries. Now, boundaries are very hated word in our culture because we all want to do what we want to do it's my life my rules all this nonsense but no country can function without boundaries no country no system no civilization will survive without boundaries that's why we have passports we have borders we have all of this what is prison what is prison prison is a boundary for people that don't know how to put a boundary on themselves <laughs> let me say that again prison 
is an external boundary imposed by the society. For those people who can't put a boundary by themselves, a prison is an external boundary made for people who fail to put internal boundaries. Everybody gets angry. There's not a person on the earth that doesn't get angry. But if your anger leads you to hit somebody with a hammer, if your anger leads you to pick up a gun and shoot at them, then my friend, you don't know how to put a boundary around your anger. You don't know how to put a fence around your emotions. So that emotion is out of control, it's out of order and it's now causing you to do things that are harmful to you and harmful to your society. So what are boundaries? Boundaries are self-imposed restrictions. <laughs> so you can cultivate a godly life. Ah, nobody likes these boundaries. Nobody wants to talk because we all want to do life the way we want and yet want the results we desire. <laughs> you want to live the way you want and still want to have the desires and the results that you want. No, your results are a product of your life. You can't live the way you want and say, I want these results. No, not going to happen. Let's say, let's say you, you, you have a sweet tooth. Okay, I'm just going to use something like that let's say you have a sweet tooth and you enjoy gulab jamuns or you enjoy chocolates it's your weakness no matter how much willpower you have tried no matter how much how many times you have put a reminder on your calendar no matter how many times you, you just can't resist chocolates what do you do in that case you don't condemn yourself you don't beat yourself you put a boundary you you give the <laughs> you 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 tell your mummy and you tell your papa or you tell your husband or your wife please don't buy chocolates don't fill the fridge with chocolates or let's say you you will order give your credit card your bank cards away to your spouse what's happening i can't control my desire for chocolates so i give away the means to procure chocolates to somebody did you hear that again boundaries will help you cultivate a godly life the God we serve is a God of boundaries let me say that to you one more time the God we serve is a God of boundaries. Boundaries are everywhere. The minute Adam and Eve sinned, God loved them, put a plan of redemption in place, killed an animal and clothed them and sent them out of the garden and then put an angel to guard the garden. He says, this is off limits now. You were allowed in this place 
You were welcomed in this place. You were given free access to this place, but you did not adhere to the principles and the protocols and the systems of the garden. And because you broke the protocol, because you broke the principle, I still love you, but this is out of reach. A boundary. When the law was instituted, he, he, he said, I love you. I want to come down and meet you. I, I want to encounter you. I want to show my presence to you. I want my people to dwell in my presence. But there's going to be a boundary. There's an outer court. There's an inner court. And there's the most holy place. And this is what will happen in the outer court. This is what will happen in the holy place. And this is what will happen in the most holy place. A boundary. God loves us. He wants us all to be with him in heaven. He wants us to function as sons and daughters. But you can't go after any and every God. You must come to my son, Jesus Christ. If you want eternal life, you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you will find eternal life. Boundary. Jesus is a boundary. Uh, outside of him, you cannot go to the Father. Jesus said it like this. If you come to me, if you, if you come to me, I will take you to the Father. If you come to me, you come to the Father. If only I can take you to the father, which means the son is the way to the father. It's a boundary. You can't get to the father outside of Jesus. It's a boundary. Oh my God, my God, my God. Our God is a God of boundaries. If you have a problem with boundaries, you're going to have a problem in heaven because the new Jerusalem still has gates. The new Jerusalem still has walls. <laughs> ah, Lord have mercy. So when you find yourself, you're in a place where you are struggling in an area. Put a boundary and give the keys to that boundary to somebody else. Give the keys away. Give the keys away. Ah, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, finally, do you have time for me to share one more thing with you? Just one more thought. Stay with me for the next five minutes and I'll let go of you. Ah, thank you, Lord. I hope you're learning. I hope you're learning. Ah, final key. Change your association. Sin enjoys a certain kind of company. Sin enjoys a certain kind of friendships. Find friends that are going to push you toward the light. Find relationships that are going to push you toward the Lord. Find friends that are, that are already on fire for God. And you will see that that kind of fire jumps from one person to other. That kind of grace is imparted that you hang out with. That's it. That's it. That's it. See, I'm very, very grateful for my wife. Do you know how I was introduced to my wife? I, ah, man, it's, it's the most humbling thing somebody has ever said to me. 
my father and the Lord. This is how he introduced Christina to me. He said, so he, he spoke to me about her and said, I can confidently tell you, I can confidently tell you, Christina loves Jesus more than you. Oh man, it was a slap on my face, but a good one. <laughs> because if, uh, and I have tested her, I have tasted her life and I can testify, I think my wife loves Jesus more than me. The quality of my life has changed because I married a woman that fears the Lord. Maybe one of these days we can teach a series on relationships. If you are interested, maybe you can let my wife know. <laughs> uh, it's true. It is true. It is true. You don't want to marry somebody because they'll just look good. You don't want to marry somebody because they have a healthy bank balance. All of those things can change. But if you marry a man or a woman who truly loves the Lord, who truly fears the Lord, not this cultural cliched way where your Instagram bio says you love Jesus but your browser history does not. No, when we truly find somebody that loves the Lord, they change us. They birth in us a desire to be more godly, to be more like them. Find friends that truly love Jesus. Find friends that will skip a game, that will not go to the latest movie. Instead, will come to a church and be part of a prayer gathering. I'm not against movies, I'm not against you watching a game, but their priorities are set right. They will skip the tea party and come to a service. They will skip a game on Saturday to come listen to a sermon. They will skip hanging out with friends to sit in a room and pray and seek God. Find people that whose only obsession is Christ and you will be transformed into another Christ obsessor, into a Jesus lover. Ah, I think I've already shared too much today. <laughs> and please understand that my desire is not to be rude, is not to be vain, or my desire is not to talk down to you. But my desire is that you and I together truly pursue Jesus, truly follow Jesus, truly fall in love with him, truly live a life that is pleasing to him. And I hope the keys I have shared will encourage you, motivate you to seek the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to run after him. To go and be more like him. I'm going to pray with you. I think I have to share this with you. Listen to me. No matter how many times you have failed. No matter how many times you have sinned. You still have hope. You still can 
change your ways. You still can come to the Lord Jesus Christ and have your heart and your mind renewed. Don't believe the lie that says you can't change. Don't believe the lie that says, oh, you're hopeless. Don't believe the lie. You're never going to change. You're just like your father, just like your grandmother, just like your grandfather. You know, that's a lie from the pit of hell. No. You have hope. You have a great destiny in Christ. You have a great plan in Christ. Your future is beautiful in Jesus. So come to him. Come to him. The only time Jesus cannot help you is if you come to him and tell him this is okay. This is not sin. When you normalize sin, you're telling him this is okay. This is legitimate. This is allowed. I don't need to change. That's the mistake many are making today. It's one thing for you to admit I know this is wrong, but I am weak in this area and I keep committing this sin. That's one thing. There's hope for you. But you come to the Lord Jesus and say, Jesus, you got this wrong. This is not sin. This can't be sin. I feel good when I do this. This is no longer. You, 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 you change the standard to accommodate your lifestyle. Even Jesus can't help you. No. We don't change the standard to accommodate our lifestyle we change our lifestyle to accommodate the standard we don't change the truth to accommodate our lifestyle we change our lifestyle to accommodate the truth which means you must come to the lord and say i messed up god i messed up several times but i have come to the only fountain that can wash away my sin I'm going to pray with you now. Wherever you are, lift your hands to the Lord. I'm going to give you a few seconds to talk to your father. I'm going to give you a few seconds to talk to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. God, help me. I messed up, God. I have done things that are ungodly. I have done things that are unrighteous. I have done things that are sinful, God. I join prophet Isaiah and I say, I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among men of unclean lips. And now I ask you, Father, that the that the burning coal, the burning ember from the altar of the Most High God will touch my lips and cleanse me, O oh God. That the fire of the Holy Spirit, that the fire of God's presence, that the glory of God will cleanse me, O oh Father. That the blood of Jesus Christ will wash me and make me new and clean, O oh God. That I can be pure in your sight. That I can be blameless in your sight, O oh God. God, give me the gift of a clean and clear conscience. That when I approach your presence, God, I don't feel condemnation. I don't feel self-loathing. That when I approach your presence, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. Because you have called me to be a son. You have called me to be a child, O oh God. Feed me the bread of life. Feed me the bread of heaven that I may not sin against you.
Lord Jesus, I ask you for friends. I ask you for spiritual parents, oh God. Thank you, God, that I already am blessed with a papa and a mama and the Lord that truly fear God. But I pray for others, Lord, who don't have this blessing. I pray for godly friendships in their life, oh God. People that will inspire them to walk with you. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I give glory and honor and praise and thanks to you. Let chains fall right now in Jesus' name. Let blindness depart now in Jesus' name. Let the scales fall now in Jesus' name. Father, right now in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, let every demonic chain, let every demonic uh, rope, let every demonic stronghold, let it break now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever people are watching me, let freedom come. I declare to you, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I can see in the realms of the spirit that some of you are right now weeping. Some of you right now are, are experiencing godly sorrow over your sin. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the work of God. It's going to lead you to repentance. It's going to lead you to righteousness. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. God, I bless my people, Lord. I bless them with victory over sin. From glory to glory, from grace to grace. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the times we have failed. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the times we have committed sins. Forgive us, O oh Lord, for the times we have fallen. We repent before you in your presence. Make us like you. Make us like you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. 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 Ah, my precious people, I hope you have been blessed by these teachings over the last four weeks. This was accidental. It was not planned. I, I was teaching on, uh, on the Holy Spirit and he just took me off on another tangent. And I believe it was the work of God for me to teach this to you over the last four weeks. God has already given me a blueprint of what I'm going to be teaching you from next week onwards. It is powerful. It is exciting. It is content I have not taught before, at least not publicly. So I'm very excited for you. I feel this next week, there is a spiritual upgrade for you. You're going up. You're going up. You're going up. There's an upgrade coming to your spirit. Protect what the Lord has done for you today. Guard it. Protect it. Amen. I bless you in the name of the Lord. Go ahead and share this list with somebody that's going to be blessed. I love you in the Lord. I'll see you soon. God bless. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Please consider sharing it. And for more information, log on to harirao.com.